You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. I would like to invite, I can't say pastor because he didn't want me to, let's invite Dale Fenske forward to preach the word to us this morning. Guys, give him a round of applause. How many of you guys were here in December to hear him preach? There was oh, like sorry. <laughs> six of you. So you have like a whole new crowd. I was told that that was his first time preaching anywhere. Second. Second. Sorry, second. Second time preaching anywhere. I don't know where the first time was. I'm assuming Coram Deo. It was in Iowa somewhere. In Iowa somewhere? Yeah. Okay. But to get up and preach for your second time with a group of people that you don't know is scary. So. How many is it now? We're number three. <laughs> three. That's yeah. exciting. We've got two of the three times he's preached. So guys, give him a warm welcome and, and just, just allow him to be blessed. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for the welcome. And it's fun to be back here again. It's been uh, fun praying for you guys and loving you guys. And When uh, Pastor Joe asked me to preach again, I immediately said, yes, I'm all over that, before I even knew what he wanted me to preach on. And so he asked me to preach on church planting. So it's kind of an interesting subject. might seem a little bit irrelevant, but I assure you it's not. But I think before we can really talk about church planting, I mean, we have to ask, why church plant? And it might seem like an obvious question, but I think really sometimes we don't think about it. I know my third year at Bible college, um, I was in chapel, and a guy came and delivered the message, and he was just getting ready to to plant a church. He'd been working on it. They were launching the next Sunday. And uh, so then I had another class in between chapel and lunch, and I went to lunch and sat down at a table, and he happened to come sit at my table. And so I was just talking with him respectfully. And, I, and so I asked him, I was like, well, why, why are you planning a church? And uh, he was speechless. He, he didn't have an answer. And it was really interesting. He fumbled around and it was almost as if he had never really thought about it. As if he was just like, well, of course, you know, that's what we do. We go plant churches. And I mean, that's true, right? And it, I know church planning's hard, so I got, I've got respect for the guy. But eventually he kind of came up with this answer that, you know, well, I've got a certain personality and charisma that people will be attracted to. Um, and so I think it'd be good for me to plant a church. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. So why plant a church? I think there's kind of three main reasons that we can look at. And the first reason is what the theologians co- call uh, missio dei, that it's the mission of God, that is God's mission. And so we see this played out by Jesus in the Great Commission. He, he tells his uh, disciples to, to go out and to baptize. Also in um, Acts 1 verse 8, if you guys could flip over there with me real quick. Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is right before his ascension. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
So we see Jesus proclaiming what's going to happen. It starts in Jerusalem, expands to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So it's this outward movement of the word flowing out. So this is much like church planting. Church planting goes forth. It's a movement. It goes out. It spreads. It multiplies. But another important thing to notice is that it's when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, this will happen. So this is God's mission. It's not our mission. We take part in it, but it's what God's doing. Um, Often I hear people say that uh, the disciples, the reason why they went to died as martyrs for Christ is because they saw Jesus rose from the dead and they were, they were brave because of it. But there's a piece that we, we tend to miss. The disciples really did not act in bravery even after they saw Jesus rise from the dead until Pentecost, until the Holy Spirit came into their heart. And when the Holy Spirit came into their heart, they burst the doors open and came out and preached courageously God's word and were willing to go die for it. So the Holy Spirit is integral. We have to have that to preach God's word, to plant the church, to do, to do anything good. And in some ways, this is actually a really comforting uh, truth, that this is God's mission. It's not up to us. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to figure it all out. Um, God, God's the one doing these things. God changes people's hearts. We can't change someone's heart. So there's a lot of comfort in this truth. And there's joy in getting to take part in what God's doing. Uh, Matt Chandler, he says... Uh, yeah, he's a preacher in Texas, a guy I respect. He says uh, that it's almost as if God's saying, you get to come, come play. You get to come take part in this and do this. But it's God doing the work, God changing people's hearts. Uh, the second reason is a need, that there's, there's a great need. Matthew 9.37 is our text for this one. Then he said to his disciples, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I think we're all familiar with that passage. And so, according to Jesus, there's a plentiful harvest. There's a need out there. We're supposed to go forth and be workers, to be laborers in his field. And so what does this need look like? I think it's different. There's, there's several different kinds of needs. Uh, there's the obvious one of people who don't know Christ who don't know about God, who don't know about the Bible, and people who are lost, broken, in bondage, the need of people who are self-righteous, the people who are abused and hurt and sick and lonely. Um, there's need everywhere. But even within our own churches in America, there's, there's a, a big need. Um, and I would describe that as a need for Christ-centeredness or gospel-centeredness. Um, the best way to explain, explain this need is with a big word, it's called anthropocentric. And it basically comes from some Greek, Greek word, anthropology, study of man. A lot of churches, and my own heart included, tends to be man-centered or anthropocentric. We read the Bible as if it's a book to tell me what to do, as it's about me. And so our preaching, our teaching, uh, our ideas tend to be centered on, on, on us, on ourselves, and what we should do. But the reality is it needs to be Christocentric, centered on Christ, I mean, this is the language you guys hear, gospel-centered. It needs to be all about God, all about Jesus. And what we're supposed to do just flows out of that automatically. When we really grasp who God is and we can see our sin because he's so holy, you can't stand next to a pure holy God without seeing your own sin. 
it becomes apparent, and our hearts begin to change. Um, you know, one of the things Paul says in 2 Corinthians is that he came to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. And so Peter talks about Paul's writings that his scripture, when Paul writes scripture, that is hard to understand and complicated. So like Paul's got all this great theology that even Peter says is hard to understand. But Paul himself says, I know nothing but Christ and him crucified. And that's a beautiful model for us being uh, Christocentric, gospel-centered. The third thing um, is calling. I think it's really important to be called to church plant. Uh, I think church planting is really hard. Um, also, we have some scripture for this. This is Romans ten fourteen through 15. So f- feel free to follow me over there. This is Paul talking again. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe him of who they have not heard? And how are they to hear him or to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So I think that's a great passage. And I, lo- I love the fact that God calls people into this, that he doesn't expect us just to kind of figure it out and go forth and plant churches. Um, so this is, this is an encouraging passage, especially for me. Uh, a quick insert my story here. Um, about four and a half years ago, God regenerated me all in a moment. It was kind of one of those weird conversions. It just filled me with the hope of, of the gospel. Uh, it just overwhelmed me with Christ's love for me and changed everything. And at first I got really excited. I was like, I have to go you know, plant a church and be a preacher and tell everyone about this. And uh, it was right about that time that I'd been introduced to Dris- Mark Driscoll and I, and I found the Acts 29 website. And they made it really clear that you have to be called in order to do this. And I thought about it for a while and I was just like... You know, I can't say for sure that I'm called to do this. I know that God regenerated me, but I don't have a calling that I can just fall back on. And so I gave it up, and I was like, all right, you know, I'm still going to be preaching to people in my life, you know, because this is an amazing thing. You can't keep it to yourself. And then it was about, uh, I want to say two or three months later, that I had this wild dream, and I heard God's voice speaking to me in the dream, and he called me to, to, uh, to go and preach uh, the grace of God to the captives. And I woke up and wrote it down in the middle of the night and thought about it and realized that this was a calling. And so I embarked on this calling and it led me to uh, going to school, a Bible school for four years. And along the way, about the third year into Bible school, I hadn't really submitted my calling to the elders because it was so deep and personal to me. I just wanted to protect it and hold on to it. And I really felt that God was telling me that I needed to submit it to the elders. So, so I went to them um, mid-summer of my third year, and just before I started my senior year, and just kind of confessed that I hadn't really trusted them with it and that I wanted to submit it to them. And so uh, Bob, the, the lead uh, pastor there at Cormdale, he was like, well, you've really got two options in front of you. Um, option A is to go be you know, a preacher to church and try to revitalize it. You could do that soon. Or um, option A, did I say B? The other option was to uh, take the church planner's path. And so I went home and prayed about it, and I felt really strongly that uh, the Spirit confirmed in my heart that I should do the church planner's path. And he had mentioned that that would take longer. Um, So later that summer, I got together with him again, and we talked about this. And he said, uh, 
He said, all right, well, you're not ready for this. This is, um, you're looking at five to ten years, probably five years before you can enter into full-time ministry and ten years before you'll be prepared to be a church planner. It's like there's, there's a lot of work that you have to do on the front end of preparation. And, you know, I just was starting my fourth year of Bible school, you know. I thought I was ready to go. And uh, so it wasn't what I wanted to hear at all. And he was like, are you going to be able to do this? Wait like that. And I thought about it for a little bit and just really believed that, you know, this was God calling me to submit to him. And so I said, yeah, I can do that. And uh, I was doing an internship with my church at that time. And so I went directly back into the office. And uh, Paul, is a friend of mine, an elder there, he was like, hey, I've got, a, I got a, a nasty job for you to do. And I was like, all right, what's that? And like, I just literally walked out of this meeting. And Paul stopped me and asked me to he said, I need you to uh, gather up all the trash cans in the office, and there's a bunch of gunk all on the bottom of them that had built up over the years underneath the bags, and they all need cleaned out. <laughs> and so uh, I was like, all right. I had been uh, doing, I have to do, had to do volunteer time every, uh, every semester at college, and I'd been doing it at the church, sweeping the floors, cleaning dishes, and all the nasty work. And, and so I got those trash cans together, and I threw them in my car because I had a pressure washer at home, and I got my car, and and I'm not going to lie, I said a few cuss words, and I was just mad. I was like, seriously, I've been sweeping this church floor for three years, sure of my calling, I've seen other guys promoted, and now I'm told five to ten more years, and now I'm cleaning out the trash cans, like it's getting worse <laughs> instead of better. And so I was, driving, I was driving to my house with the trash cans, and I don't know, the Holy Spirit started working in my heart, convicting me, and uh, started just reminding me of the truths. And by the time I got home, I was worshiping God that he counted me worthy to clean out the trash cans in his church. And I realized that I wasn't worthy to do it with my tongue. And that this is a blessing. That, that I'm able to take part in this. Even cleaning out trash cans. Much less the fact that he's preparing me to plant churches and preach his word to people. Um, so, <laughs> so my calling is it's full of patience and waiting and hardship, but God's definitely been working on my heart and poking on areas of change and, and uh, slowly preparing me. I'm just a late bloomer, I guess, and thick-headed, so. Yeah. Anyways, I love coffee. Did, does anyone else in here like coffee? Yes. All right. Did you know that coffee and the gospel have a lot of things in common? But in order to really explain it, you've got to understand the three waves of coffee. Uh, so, the first wave coffee is like Folgers in your cup. Great commercials, <laughs> bad coffee, <laughs> no offense. <laughs> but, so it's pre-packaged, pre-ground coffee. Um, you know, it tastes a little bit like coffee. It's just kind of, it, you know, came, I don't know when it became popular, but it's just kind of the staple. And then along came Starbucks with second wave coffee. And Starbucks came in and said, yeah, we've got these dark roasted beans, and they talk a little bit about the coffee, but really they're about ambiance and atmosphere. And, uh, and, but they, they had a lot of stuff to the coffee, you know, the, the milk and the creamers and all that ungodly stuff. Um, no, it's, it's good. <laughs> but really their coffee is over-roasted and old. <laughs> but it, it, you can taste it because it's dark. Sorry, Starbucks, if you guys hear the sermon, but it's true. Um, so then along came third wave coffee. 
Now, third wave coffee is the coffee shops that really care about the coffee. And so what you got to understand about extra good coffee is that it's smooth, it's not bitter. And if you can get single origin coffee from one place, from one farm, one area, and it's, it's roasted just right, and you have to drink it within two weeks of its roast date, the third day of being roasted is the best day to drink it. It's when all the gases and everything are just right in it. And you have a two-week period before it starts going downhill. Um, and also, when you grind it, you have to grind it right, depending on how you're brewing it, too. There's a lot of different brew methods. And I'm no expert on this, by the way. But, after, no, seriously, I'm not. There's, I'm JV. If you talk to some real coffee nuts, it's, it's crazy. But, so on the third day, um, you grind it, and you have to brew it within two hours of grinding it, or as it starts losing its, its taste. And so this third wave coffee shops come along and they, they really care about this good coffee. They have single origin coffee available, fresh roasted, fresh brewed. They still, you know, they've got the options of making lattes and all that other stuff. And, uh, but, but they care about the coffee. And so this is, kind of like a, this is kind of like church planning. So in the days of Christendom, which are ending in America, have already ended in, uh, in Europe, um, you basically just had a church building and people came to it because it's what you did. Like Folgers in your cup. There's, there's, what else do you do? You, you get Folgers, of course. It's what you're drinking. Um, but then uh, starting in kind of the 80s, uh, the 60s through the 80s, um, second wave church planning came through, which was kind of about ambiance. They started changing up the bands. They started changing the way they did things, adding lights. And, um, and it, was, it was kind of about atmosphere. So there's still coffee, right? But they're, they're adding all this other stuff to it. You've got prosperity doctrine coming out of it and, you know, milk and sugar and all this stuff. But there's, there's still some coffee there, right? But then you've got third wave church planning, which is about the actual coffee, which I relate to the gospel. It's actually about the gospel. We have the gospel. This is central. This is what it's all about. I know we're all saying that we're coffee shops, that we're churches, but this is, it's Christ. It's really about Christ. We have him. And yes, we have these other things. And they're good. It's not bad. But it's Christ. Um, so I, I, saw this, I saw this happen in my neighborhood. There was a, a Scooters and a Starbucks. And someone put, planted, put this coffee shop right between them. And this is like a half mile area. And I was like, sweet, there's a third wave coffee shop in West Omaha, finally. Because all the third wave coffee shops are downtown. And so I go in there and I'm like, hey, where do you get your coffee from? You know, is it single origin? You know, when is it roasted? And they're like, uh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. What are you, why are you planting this coffee shop in between these two giants? If you don't have anything special, you just think that your ambiance is better or something. And <coughs> excuse me. Sure enough, I don't even think it made it a year and they closed down. And um, so when we look at church planning, it's kind of a fun analogy. We think about good coffee the centrality of Christ, actually doing what we're coming for. So one of the things that I often hear uh, uh, church planters, uh, ministers, uh, Christians talk about in general is, uh, is how church works best when they're talking about church. And what they end up always talking about is methodology. And what I mean by that is they talk about, well, it needs to be a house church, or it, it needs this type of music, or this many songs, or the sermon needs to be put here or there. Or, you know, we need to meet in an amphitheater instead of a church building and all these different methods. Um, this is much, this kind of goes back to the, the coffee shop idea. But really it's about the message. 
No one talks about the message. Well, not no one. Often in Christian circles, they don't talk about the message. Is the message central? And is the message confined to a certain methodology? But in reality, the message is the most important thing. You can have messed up methodology. I mean, you, I don't know. You could meet anywhere in the grossest in a sewer plant, I guess, and do anything. As long as you've got the message right, then you can, you can plan a church, you can move forward, and the methodology can be changed. So the methodology is not bad, though. Methodology is good, and you can't escape it. In trying not to have methodology, you will create a methodology of not having methodology. <laughs> and so the proper way to look at this is a methodology needs to be a conduit for promoting the gospel. And you look at it within your context. What's the best methodology in this context that's going to promote the gospel? How am I going to show Christ to the people around me in my context the best? What's the best way to do that? And so there's a lot of questions to ask about that. Um, I think one of the things that is important to ask is what is the fullness that we can bring into our context? Often we look and ask minimalistic questions. What's, you know, what do we have to do to be a church? You know, what's, what's the minimums before we're a church? But really, that's, I think that's a wrong question. I think we should be asking, what's the most we can do healthily for our church? What's the fullness? You know, Jesus says in the NIV in John 10.10, 10, that I came to bring life and life to the full. Like, he didn't go halfway or the minimum. Okay, I saved him. I died for him. I'm done. I'm going back to heaven. No, he gives us life to the full. He fills our cup up all the way. And I think this is good to look at. I had a church planning class last semester, and I had to go to three different uh, ethnic churches. And so I went to uh, a Spanish-speaking Hispanic mass. Um, and I don't speak Spanish, but it was, it was kind of cool. And I went to uh, Burmese, was it Burmese? I can't even remember now. Burmese church, and they spoke some crazy length, Burmese, I guess. And it was funny because they were kind of uh, a little bit uh, charismatic. <laughs> so it was, it was cool seeing the, the difference. And then I went to a Greek Orthodox church. And I don't know if you guys know anything about Greek Orthodox, but they came out of the split, I think, in uh, 1000 when uh, the, the Roman Catholic and the, the Eastern Orthodox split in it was, over, it was over some pithy argument of, did God send the Holy Spirit or Jesus send the Holy Spirit? But that doesn't matter. Anyways, the Greek Orthodox, they, uh, they, they use, uh, what, what are they called? Oh, I can't say the name of it. Anyways, they've got a lot of pictures and symbolism that they use in their worship. It's really heavy. So I went to this church and they spoke English. And like the priests are all decked out in robes. This huge ornamental building with this back room and a gold table with all this stuff on the table and when I walk in the priest is back there like chanting over the table and uh, then they start they got this incense on a bell and they're, they're walking around the table and I figured out it was a bible and this big gold case on the table it's pretty cool actually and they're, and they're doing incense on it and they, when they do communion they prayed it through the room with incense and, and it was actually really beautiful um, I think when God first regenerated me, I thought that like these, this type of religion and methodology was evil and that it, it was horrible. But, but when you step into something like that and you see pictures of Christ through it, it becomes really powerful. 
And I don't think it has to be thrown out. I think that the fear of methodology becoming mundane and religious and things we use for self-righteousness is a real fear. But no matter what we do, that is a possibility. And so we don't have to throw out good methodology because of our fear. I think that it can be redeemed, it can be used, it can show Christ well. All right, so this is pertinent to someone planting a church, but what about you guys? Like, what does this have to do with you personally? Well, I think that uh, our lives are very much like a church plant. I think we can look at ourselves and ask the question, how does the methodology of of our lives promote the gospel of Christ? Or does it? I know my wife and I, uh, just a couple weeks ago, were having a conversation, uh, laying in bed before bed, and and I was just kind of troubled. I was like, if someone looked at my life right now, would they even know that I was a Christian without me spending time talking to them and explaining it? How does my life, how does the methodology of my life, what I do every day, how how is that showing people Christ? How does it promote the gospel? It's an important question. I I don't think we can take it for granted. You know, that Jesus came and just died for us and so we're good, we can coast through life. I think we need to take a deep look at what we do every day. Every single little thing can glorify Christ. I'm reading this book right now, it's called The Sacred Year. And in this book, uh, a young man goes to a spiritual director and is asking for wisdom and he's directing him to uh, do spiritual disciplines and practices. And the young man's like, like what? Like read my Bible and pray? And like he didn't really want to do that. And And the wise spiritual director said, uh, just about anything can become a spiritual practice. Just about anything can be a spiritual practice. And I would love to take a 40-minute rabbit trail on sacred and secular debate that there's really no difference, that all truth is God's truth, and anything good comes from God. um, But I'm not going to do that. Anyways, any area of our life, we can do anything to the glory of God. Anything can be a spiritual practice. But, I mean, for me, cleaning out the trash cans at the church building, you know, is a spiritual practice. And too often we get caught up in the busyness of life and running through, and we miss these things, these mundane things, that we can glorify God. And, and furthermore, we can, we can make that the methodology of our life that promotes the gospel around us. So, Here's the cool part about this. The message itself is the framework for our methodology. The message is the framework for our methodology. What I mean by that is when we're trying to figure out how to do the methodology of our life, actually all we have to do is look at the message. And that tells us what to do. It tells us how to live, how to structure our framework. And so what is that message? What am I talking about? Well, it's Christ. Like he left everything for us. And he didn't do it just out of duty. He did it out of love. There was a heart motivation. He did it for you guys. He, he did it for me. Out of love, he, he left heaven, left perfection, left presence with God, and came down, and then he took on our sin. And he suffered for it. He died as a sinner on the cross for us, even though he was perfect. And he suffered, and he died, and then he rose from the dead, and he he gave us his righteousness. So he took our sin, gave us his righteousness. It's all giving, all out of love, all in obedience to God. 
He rose from the dead. He promised us new life and he went to heaven and is preparing a place for us. So Christ's methodology became the message. <laughs> and so we, the good news is we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have perfect methodology. We don't have to figure it out. But we get to look at Christ. We get to look at the, at the message. We get to look at the methodology that he did and be changed by it and take part in it. And so we can model our life after that. Thank, thank, uh, thankfulness, thanksgiving to what he's done and loving like he's loved us. And it's a beautiful thing. It's God's mission. We don't have to be perfect. This is all his work. We get to take part in it. All right, let's uh, invite the worship team back up and I'm going to close this with prayer. Let's pray. Holy Jesus, we thank you for living the perfect life for us for doing the work of planting the church, of making your gospel move outwards and cover the whole world and that all those that you've called and loved will hear your message and that you're the one that changes our hearts. You're the one that we can hope in and, and uh, we pray for your church, Lord. We pray for the, the church plants that are in progress, the people you are preparing, the people that are going to take part in it. And we pray that you, you would uh, protect it, you'd bless it, um, that you would make the calling of those who are to church plant uh, certain. And Lord, we pray for ourselves personally that we would just be so full of your message that it would just flow out of the methodology of our lives, that we would be full of love self-sacrifice, thanksgiving, and that we would just glorify you, Jesus, in the ways we act, think, talk. Help us to, to be aware of what you've done and to be conscious of the way our own lives reflect that and bring you glory. Thank you that we get to come and play and take part in, in your work and what you're doing. You're awesome God and we, we worship you thank you for letting us worship you pray in your name Jesus Christ amen there's going to be some pastors up here if anyone wants to come up and, and pray with them you're listening to an audio message from the well a gospel centered church family in Hastings Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God for more information please visit www.thewellhastings.com